You're listening to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD, presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Let's return now to a continuing session from the CDC titled Global Tobacco Control, a Prevention Best Buy. Speaking is Dr. Michael Erickson, professor at the Georgia State University Institute of Public Health. What I want to do is to talk about some of the good news, some of the progress that's been made, and also some of the progress that uh, still has yet to occur. The good news uh, really is, is that there are effective and proven strategies for reducing tobacco use, and that uh, to the extent that we can implement these uh, actions, uh, it's estimated that we can save up to 100 million lives over this century. And that can be achieved specifically by uh, achieving a global reduction in prevalence from 25 to 20 percent. And this uh, was published by your CDC Director Frieden and Mayor Bloomberg and Lancet in 2007. Uh, much of the success and the evidence regarding uh, what works in tobacco control has been published, uh, much of it by CDC itself. Uh, you can see in the documents uh, Surgeon General's reports going back to 2000, best practices, uh, uh, which originally came out in 2000, it's been recently updated, the Empower report that you've heard a lot about, NCI reports, IOM reports. There's no shortage of information that documents uh, what can be done and, it, it, and what I will be talking about and kind of reiterating what's already been said, it comes down to a few uh, uh, strategies. Uh, one, certainly um, increasing the price of tobacco products, which decreases youth and adult smoking, implementing smoke-free policies that protects non-smokers from secondhand smoke, and as well as changing social norms, uh, comprehensive ad restrictions, if not bans, which uh, reduce tobacco's appeal, uh, aggressive media campaigns to both prevent initiation and encourage smokers to quit, and cessation efforts uh, that can help smokers quit. For instance, in the United States, there are more ex-smokers than current smokers, but in China and many other countries, little over 10% of smokers have quit. So there's much, much that can be done. Uh, you've heard a lot about Empower, and I won't uh, go through it in much detail, but to emphasize that the purpose of this is to take those things that we know works, such as R from raising taxes, uh, and P for protecting people from secondhand smoke, and adds to that the interventions, adds a very much of a CDC dimension of monitoring. So it specifically puts in monitoring and surveillance as one of the key elements of uh, advancing global tobacco control. I, I did want to say a word about the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, which uh, you've heard about as well. This is the world's first public health treaty. 176 countries uh, around the world have ratified it. Uh, the Framework Convention really is a framework of uh, getting global agreement on the types of things that need to be done, very much consistent with the empower strategies, such as tax increases, advertising bans, clean indoor air laws. But a lot of the specifics is reserved for protocols, which are then negotiated and ratified separately. So that's kind of the structure of the Framework Convention. Uh, the, the sad news is that um, three of the major tobacco producing and consuming countries in the world have not ratified the Framework Convention, uh, specifically Argentina, 
uh, Indonesia, and sadly, the United States. Some of the areas that we have seen success uh, uh, globally uh, and recently is particularly in protecting smokers from involuntary exposure to secondhand smoke. Uh, this is a phenomenon that uh, really began in the early 1980s in California, extended throughout the United States, and is now diffusing throughout the world. And the number of uh, areas that are uh, smoke-free has really doubled between the time uh, between 2008 and 2010. And this is one of the most rapid areas for progress in tobacco control and, and one that not only protects non-smokers but also helps to change social norms. There's great public support for comprehensive smoking bans, in this example for bars and restaurants, after they've been implemented. Uh, many cases, even smokers are supportive of uh, smoke-free environments. And this is the case whether we're talking about uh, New Zealand or New York City. Uh, Smoke-free cleaning indoor air laws have multiple benefits of, first and foremost, protecting the non-smoker from harm. But secondly, it also um, helps smokers quit and cut down, as well as changing the social norm. And in this country, uh, and any of you, I'm sure, can remember the time when smoking was allowed in airplanes. And when we thought about banning smoking in airplanes, it was unheard of. And now today, when someone likes to, if someone were to light a cigarette in an airplane, you can imagine the reaction that would occur. Uh, and that's, that's a change, uh, a dramatic change in norms that's occurring throughout the world. Um, the next area that just to mention uh, that where a lot of progress is occurring is in terms of uh, uh, pictorial gr or graphic warning labels. And you, again, heard this mentioned earlier. Uh, this data is from Brazil that shows half of those surveyed changed their opinion about the health consequences of smoking. Uh, close to 70% of Brazilian smokers said they wanted to quit as a result of the labels. And uh, there was widespread approval uh, for these labels. Uh, to be effective, these warning labels uh, must be large uh, with dramatic images. Uh, include specific warnings. Um, they need to be changed periodically to stay fresh and to make sure that deceptive terms uh, such as light and low tar are not allowed. Uh, this is an example of the uh, next step uh, in, in the warning label process where um, in Australia they're introducing plain packaging. And plain packaging goes beyond simply having graphic warnings and, and uh, statements, it also takes away the imagery that's associated with the color and uh, brand appeal that comes from a pack of cigarettes. Australia passed a law to have a plain packaging that will take effect, and uh, needless to say, the tobacco companies are concerned. Um, they've sued, and the regulations are on hold uh, pending judicial review. Uh, in fact, they've, uh, they've, tobacco companies have uh, encouraged other countries to file complaints with the World Trade Organization against this action. Um, uh, and it'll be very interesting to see whether trade or public health uh, wins out. The, the last uh, graphic on warning labels is just to, to uh, emphasize the, uh, where progress is occurring. In the United States, we should mention that the FDA uh, has proposed 
bigger, strong, stronger warning labels with graphic images on the top uh, half of the front and back of uh, a pack of cigarettes. But again, the U.S. regulations are pending, subject to legal challenges by the tobacco industry, uh, if you can believe, on First Amendment basis, uh, that this having warning labels is a violation of the uh, freedom of speech for the tobacco companies. Uh, let me just say a word quickly about marketing bans. Um, many of you know that uh, cigarettes are inherently um, uh, unappealing the first time you smoke it, that you try to smoke it because it's made to appear to be glamorous and sophisticated. Um, uh, and many countries are, uh, are, are restricting, if not banning, the promotion of uh, uh, an advertisement of tobacco products. Um, we have data showing that uh, when a country has a comprehensive ban on all aspects of um, tobacco advertising, marketing, and promotion, it's associated with a large decrease in consumption compared to countries without a ban. Um, the tobacco companies, obviously, again, uh, are, are fight these types of restrictions, and in our country, again, claim it under the um, commercial freedom of speech to continue to advertise what is otherwise considered to be um, a deadly and addictive product that is the leading cause of death in our society. Uh, probably the single most effective way that's known to reduce tobacco use is to increase the price of the product. Uh, price affects consumption for all consumer products uh, with the exact amount uh, expressed in terms of an elasticity coefficient, which basically for smoking is that for every 10% increase in price, there's a 4%, 4 to 7% decrease in consumption. And here's some examples from around the world for both South Africa and Morocco. The countries, uh, the, the framework convention or, and, and power recommend that tax is about 75% of the total price of a pack of cigarettes. And a uh, few countries have reached this. Whilst countries are increasing the price of tobacco, oftentimes it's not sufficient to keep up with inflation. And are examples of places where the price of tobacco products has actually uh, decreased between 2002 and 2007. This is a look at affordability by region. And despite our desire to increase the real price of tobacco products, the affordability of tobacco products, which is again measured in, in terms of per capita income needed to purchase uh, 100 packs of cheapest cigarettes, has actually, um, uh, it's, smoking has become more affordable everywhere in the world except for Europe. And there's no data uh, on Africa. So cigarettes are becoming more affordable rather than less affordable. And then the made, last major point I want to touch upon in my few minutes is around uh, funding for tobacco control. Uh, governments around the world collect uh, uh, $133 uh, billion in tobacco excise tax revenue. There's also other types of taxes that are collected. Uh, but most of this, or very little of this, is spent on tobacco control. And what is spent on tobacco control tends to be spent in the high-income countries. So uh, in many ways, countries have an addiction to uh, tobacco products in terms of revenue in a way similar that individual smokers are addicted to nicotine. 
But we have made progress. Uh, that most of this progress has occurred um, in the last few years. The greatest progress has occurred since 2008, where there's really been a, a major effort undertaken both by WHO uh, with Empower and the Framework Convention uh, globally. Let me just conclude by saying that the problem caused by tobacco use is really unprecedented in scope and preventability. Uh, you need to have, we need to have data from multiple perspectives to fully understand and prevent the epidemic from continuing. And to address this need for data, we've been monitoring the, all of the factors that contribute to the tobacco problem through the publication of the Tobacco Atlas, which is now in its fourth edition. And uh, it's on, uh, online at tobaccoatlas.org, and we'd be pleased to make copies available to anyone who would like it. Uh, in conclusion, we know what to do, and we simply must gather the will to do it. As been pointed out today, the problem caused by tobacco is immense, uh, without parallel, and yet entirely preventable. The vector is human. It's driven by profit and the disregard of public health. The solutions are also human and should be driven by fairness and equity. And with that, uh, I'd like to conclude, and we've opened this up for uh, questions from the audience here and online. Thank you. So if there's a question in the room or online. Yes, sir. I noticed the great progress that has been made in bars and elsewhere, but uh, we're not a signature of the treaty. And secondly, what is our support uh, uh, through Congress that's ongoing for our tobacco industry? Thank you. Um, I think there's, in my observation, there's been a lot of progress uh, with FDA regulation, uh, tax increase uh, in recent years, but there's so, still so much more to do. My observation is that most of the progress that's occurred has really come at the local and community level, uh, and then some at the state level, um, and perhaps less at the federal level, as opposed to other countries that are a little bit more aggressive um, federally. If you look over the change that's occurred, the smoking rates have been cut in half, consumption's been cut in half, uh, and still we're only halfway there. The fact that the FDA is being sued for implementing a law passed by Congress to have warning labels on PACs, I think characterizes the nature of the environment that we're in, that even when you get congressional action, it's not automatically implemented because of the way the industry knows how to delay, and that's the strategy that they've used for decades, is to delay meaningful action. Any questions online? We have another question for Dr. Erickson. You were working on tobacco control in China for a long time. This person is wondering whether uh, you or other panelists have any comments, the effectiveness of smoking cessation among the Chinese population, and any studies that have, done, that have been done to assess the cost effectiveness in China, as well as potential hurdles for implementing this proposal. I, I would just say that uh, uh, smoking cessation basically doesn't exist in China, um, that people smoke and die. Uh, they die of smoking. Uh, and what has to happen is there has to be role models to demonstrate that you can quit, that quitting is achievable, desirable. And uh, I, I personally don't think that's going to be achieved through pharmaceutical interventions, but rather through public health interventions about clean indoor air, increased taxes, changing social norms. Uh, 
Um, you know, there are more smokers in China than people in the U.S., and the clinical interventions and pharmaceutical interventions aren't going to, it's not going to be very cost-effective to reach 350 million smokers clinically. So we need to have population interventions. You've been listening to Public Health Grand Rounds from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, presented on ReachMD's series, Grand Rounds Nation. Be sure to join us again for the next episode of the nation's best Grand Rounds. Until then, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and thanks for listening.